Welcome to Vineyard Church Dungannon, a place where lives are being changed. The following message was given at one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information, visit vineyarddungannon.co.uk. Good morning. Good morning. Good, 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 good. Should have been a teacher. Glad to have you with us. We, um, we're in the, the book of Mark. have been for a while. And uh, this morning I'm going to skip on a wee bit, because we'll be... Jesus could return before we finish it. Um, but uh, no, the reason why I'm skipping on is that we talked... Some, the next chapters were on Sabbath. Matt talked about Sabbath and summertime, and then there's some more healings, which we really impa- or talked about uh, a few weeks back ago, of just the kingdom coming in power. So those are areas that are covered. But today I want to come to a parable. And um, this is a parable of all parables. This is the parable. These are not my words. These are the words of Mark, who wrote the biography of Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at a very famous parable called the parable of the sower. And uh, if I was to entitle this message today, I would call it the end of human effort. The end of human effort or the end to all human effort. And before we do that, we have uh, much to celebrate. I'm just looking at young Malcolm Hayes, who's become a, a daddy again for the third time. So he uh, has a beautiful daughter. Do we have a name yet? No, no. How long does it take? How long was it with the boys? Was it, were we into like months or weeks? Did it take a wee while? So um, if anybody has a prophetic name that they'd like to give to Malcolm, uh, he'd probably gladly receive that. Take it home to Sarah and name the child this afternoon, so grab him on your way out. <laughs> it's definitely not Jason, but Dennis, that's my middle name, would that work? No. I know, I know, but cut Denise, Denise. No. Okay, I'll stop, I'll stop. So Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4. Okay, it says, again, So this has been done before. Jesus is teaching. Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large, they got into a boat and sat on it out on the lake. While all the people were there along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. And his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow a seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path. And the birds came and they ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because it had no root. All their seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still all their seed fell on good soil. It came up, it grew and and it produced a crop. Some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he said to them, This secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those who are outside, everything else is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, never perceiving, ever hearing, never understanding, 
Otherwise, they may turn and be forgiven. Jesus said, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? This is it. This is the parable. To understand this parable, you understand all parables. To get this, you get the kingdom. To get this, you get the gospel. To get this parable, again, Mark was the first book ever, or first book written, sorry, not ever written. First gospel written. There's other books written before Mark. So this is really important. Everything from here on in, every writer takes it in. Every writer is thinking, what is Mark saying? And then they add on. Now, that's why you might think, well, why is it our Gospels longer? Well, they perceive from Mark, they read from Mark, and then they added on their story, their biography. And that's why we have longer Gospels in Mark. That's why he's short. Don't you understand this parable? The farmer sows the word. Some of the seed fell on the path where the word was sown. As soon as they heard it or hear it, Satan comes and he takes away the word that has been sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, 60, some 100 times than what was sown. Mark's gospel begins by saying that this is the beginning of the gospel, but of Jesus Christ. It's really important. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the gospel. Not our words, not our techniques, not our models. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, he himself is the gospel. He is the word that Mark is constantly talking about. He is the seed that is sown here. He is the one in whom gets our attention and whose words we need to hear. Jesus is the gospel. That's why gospel is good news, because Jesus has been, always will be good news, regardless of the culture, the generations, or wherever we find ourselves. Jesus is the gospel. He is good news. And I want to say this from the outset, just sort of wrap our heads around the conversation this morning, is that sometimes we can get a little mixed up at times to forget what our focus is. Although we talk around here a lot about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven, other gospels talk about the kingdom of God, same thing. What, what can very hap, easily happen, and we're part of the vineyard where theology is the theology of the kingdom, um, which is good, which it is, but where then the, what can easily happen is that our conversation, our focus can be on the kingdom and not the king. And it's really important to hear that because Mark is out from the outside. That's why he's saying this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he begins to teach on the kingdom, which is really good because I do not want us to get confused around here in the vineyard that our focus, our aim, our purpose in life is the kingdom of heaven. Our purpose, our vision in life is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's really important that you hear that. Jesus is the focus, but this is important too. The kingdom is what Jesus is doing on the earth. That's the kingdom. 
So our focus is always Jesus, not the doing. Our focus is on him, not our task. Our focus is always on Jesus Christ of Nazareth, not going about doing all kinds of good. That's not the focus. That's the outcome of being with Jesus the King and then doing the work of the King on the earth. Is that helpful? It's helpful for me because sometimes I forget that it's Jesus is my focus. We did a lot about parables last summer. But I just want to say that this parable again, because I've said it from the outset, that this, all parables are really commentary from this parable. Merely commentary from this one. Not that they're not important, but this is the parable of all parables that Jesus is bringing. This is the main parable in the scripture. Again, not because I say so. I like how the message says that Eugene Peterson, he writes a paraphrase of the scriptures, which is really helpful for people to engage with scripture and language and gives you emotion, gives you ways to see things described maybe in a modern uh, way. Um, so it's just super helpful, the message. He says this, do you see how this story works? All my stories work this way. So when you get this story, when you understand how this story works, then all the other stories work the same way. And literally, he is saying to them in his teaching, this parable is the key to understanding Jesus' teaching. This parable is, the, is to understand Jesus' teaching, you must understand this parable. To understand the kingdom, how it works, you must understand this parable. So it's like the master parable. You got that? It's the master parable. So Mark 4, 1 to 20, it's the essential, actually, to understanding the gospel of Mark. How the story develops, not just from Mark's time, but right into the 21st century. How is the kingdom of God developing? How is the kingdom of God happening in our lives? What is Jesus bringing to people and nations and places and circumstances? What is Jesus? How does Jesus actually do it? Remember, this talk is called the end to all human endeavor. The end of all human endeavor. It helps us to see how the gospel works. And also what I want to try and do this morning very quickly and not take a lot of time to do it, is to also help you how it doesn't work. It's because I think it's a really important in that because sometimes we can be striving and trying and pushing and shoving and it's like trying to push a double-decker bus up a hill. That's not what Jesus wants for us. He has his ways. And so let me just say this from the outset, just a bit of teaching. It might be helpful, might not be helpful, but park it, use it, whatever you prefer, whatever your method of um, engaging and learning is. All the parts in the story you'll engage with. But when Mark's writing this, he's not writing it to the church, per se, though the church receives the word and takes on the word and it's helpful to the church and it becomes God's word to us. But what Mark is doing is that he is writing to groups of people. He's seeing people in his mind. He is talking to real people in real time. And, and when he, so when he's writing this from Jesus' perspective, he's brilliantly adding all these people into this book. These are, there are characters you'll see that fit the soils. These are real people in the Gospel of Mark. We don't have time to go through it all this morning, but I might drop in a few names. And then as you read this book, it's a very short book, it's a very fast-paced book, so I encourage you to keep reading it. Um, go over it during the week, and then see where you pick up the, the way, the path. See where you see the thorns. See where you see... The, um, the rock. See where you see the good soil. So there's four different grounds. Again, each 
representing a particular group of people in Mark's gospel, who he sees to be the soils. First one is, says that as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Again, in our modern thinking, we just see birds eating seed all the time. This is not a good thing. This is not like putting nuts out for the birds or, or all that sort of stuff where we love to see them come to birds. And this is actually quite dark. It's actually Satan himself who's coming. It's representing the birds. Don't feed the birds. Joking. Birds are identified as Satan. Why do I know that? Because it's dead easy. All the answers are in this book. Mark tells you all the answers. Mark 8.3. That's why I encourage you to keep reading through it. You'll see the pictures. It's brilliant, brilliant, brilliantly written book. It's identified as Satan. But it's identified as Satan at a particular time when Jesus is predicting his way to the cross and his crucifixion. He then began to teach him, his disciples again, this group of people. He began to teach him that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, which he was. The chief priests and the teachers of the law. They must be killed, and after three days he will rise again. He spoke plainly about this. Then Peter, he takes him aside. Wise one. Responsible one. And he begins to rebuke Jesus. Can you? <laughs> I, I find that quite funny. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? Like, you know. Jesus the Messiah. He, he was in the beginning, was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. He called creation into being. He's back there in Genesis, back in the beginning. Back in the how he did it, by speaking his Word into the atmosphere and creating the heavens and the earth, this Jesus. And then Peter says, come here. This is not the way it's going to be done. Yeah, the joy that's set before him. No, 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 no. Listen, Jesus. So he rebukes him. And uh, I, I, I quite like it. My mind's going all over the place right now because I almost like we always feel very, very sorry for Peter because, you know, Jesus says to say that um, Peter, get behind me, Satan. But we never really feel sorry for Jesus being taken aside by Peter and getting rebuked, do we? Just a thought. But when Jesus turned and he looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Rebuke back, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, talking to the birds right he's talking to the birds he's talking to the the culture the idea of Satan his logic his ways his path and that's why he says it he said get behind me Satan because he said that you do not have a mind, the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So the logic is wrong here. The logic is wrong. The way is wrong. The endeavor is wrong. This is all going the wrong way. That's why Jesus brings such stern words. And Peter's heart's not bad. Like it's, it's not the worst thing he has in mind because he wants Jesus the Messiah to avoid suffering. I love that first song that we sang today. We should probably sing it every week um, for our first song. Because it's full of theological truth. It's full of praise to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Try in God. Eternally, entirely God. But I love that. The idea of that Jesus for the joy. He knows what's coming on the other side. The joy that's coming on the other side. You can f Just me feels it in that song. 
It's like the, the, the suffering is nearly lost in it for the joy that's set before him. Anybody suffering this morning? Joy comes in the midst of suffering. Joy is always the other side. Whether it's in this earth or in his presence, joy is always the reality, the conclusion, and the end game. Concerns of God versus human concerns. And they're two different things altogether. Peter's got confused in that. And we know because we have Mark's gospel and we have New Testament books, and we know that for humanity's sake, it's better that Jesus, who is God, suffers in human flesh, takes a suffering into himself. And then why, you know, what's the concern of humanity then? And, now, and I would say that our concern is not really... Jesus' suffering, our concern is our suffering, our worries. Will our needs be met? Will we be able to control the situation? If you look at the scriptures, I think that's what Peter's trying to do. He's trying to control the situation in a logical manner through the ways in which humanity often will always control things, and that is through power and money and control. That's what we do. And then Matthew tells us this, doesn't he? He says, that, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't be concerned about these things. Again, talking on the kingdom of heaven through a parable, he says, it's not that we don't need these things, but don't worry. Don't concern yourself with these things. Concern yourself with the kingdom of God, for all these things will be added on to, to you. And so the group of people, I think, I think, that Jesus is talking about here, because Mark slips him into his narrative and his gospel, are the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Jewish leaders. Those who hold control and hold power. And we need to see ourselves, maybe we can see ourselves in that group this morning. You know, how do we perceive the word kingdom, God come, and Jesus come, and who is the seed? How do we perceive him? Do we try and control and coerce and try and get things, even do we try and shape the kingdom around humanity's concerns, or do we do it according to the concern of God? It's really important. Does that make sense? The second thing is the path is, is the thorns. The thorns, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desire of other things come in and they choke the word. Worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the, the, the desire for other things. There could be many things this morning. It's interesting, again, because these words are very important, how Mark writes. He doesn't just put in words for the sake of it. He's not trying to write an essay and trying to get so many thousands of words so he gets it passed and canonized. There's no thought of that. Every word is chosen intently. Every word is chosen intentionally. And so when we see the word thorns in this, we're taken right to the very cross of Christ. We're a place of... A thorns are placed on Jesus' head. Jesus is actually under the thorns. But we know that the story doesn't end there. We know that thorns don't overcome Jesus. But the gospel's not choked. It's never choked. Take heart. It's gospel all ages is Jesus is never choked he rises rises and is risen 
I'll move on. Don't worry about getting so much application and saying, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Because that's not, I don't want you to do anything this morning. The end of all human endeavor. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. The rocky ground. Remember, Jesus is speaking to groups of people. Mark's making it very clear. The answers are in the book. Does anything come to your mind when you hear of rock? Anybody in particular? Any person? Peter? Who said that? Brilliant. It's Peter. It's dead easy. The answers are in the book. It's Peter's the rock. And he's talking here, and possibly James and John too. But when, when people hear Peter, they know rock. His name is Rock. Petra. And here's Jesus talking about rocks. I wonder does he penny drop with them when he's listening to this story? Because it can't, no, it won't have dropped because we know that he goes on to argue his case. But he will never, ever, 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 ever deny Jesus. Or leave them. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. But when trouble and persecution come, does it fit? Does it, yeah? When trouble and persecution comes, because of the word, not the small w, but the big w, because of the word, is Jesus is the word, they quickly fall away. So that rocky ground is absolutely Peter, I would say, and the disciples whose enthusiastic initial experience of Jesus Christ, his words actually end up dissolving into fear and failure and trouble. As persecution arises, Peter fades into fear. Peter fades into fear, goes into the background and runs. I mean, the first... Four disciples are called immediately. What do they do? They drop everything. They drop nets. They drop business. They drop their livelihoods. They drop everything that's structurally secure around them. They drop it all. I find that very challenging. It could be a whole talk in itself. Because I think what we've done in the West is we've added Jesus onto our lives, our businesses, our structures, our models, and said, hey, come along for the ride and make me better at it. Make me better, Jesus. Network me, Jesus. Make me rich, Jesus. Make me popular, Jesus. I know not in this room. But I'm being serious. I'm I'm being serious when when I'm saying not in this room. You watch a church throughout the West. That's what it's been. It's been add on Jesus to the stage. Add on Jesus to make me better. Add on Jesus to make it. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus does not make you successful. But if success is your aim to follow Jesus, then the attitude of the heart is not relationship and love. It's usury and transaction. They obey Jesus' commission even. They go out and even that, that they're successful in the mission. You remember when they come back, they say, wow, Jesus, it's been unbelievable. People are getting healed. Demons are coming out of people. And Jesus says, calm down, lads. Rejoice that it's the relationship between me and you and that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that it's not about the wow and the big and the whatever. It's about me and you relationship here and now and in the eternity. 
But the success is, is such short, because that's not success. Doing the works of the kingdom is not success, people. It's good. But don't measure your success on doing the works of the kingdom. Measure your success on being with Jesus of Nazareth. The intimacy, the love, the transparency, the, the honesty, the vulnerability, the being with Jesus is what we are measuring our lives on, not what we do. That stuff's easy. Praying for the sick is easy. You can do that without having an intimacy with Jesus. You can cast demons out of people and have spent no time with Jesus. Hardness of heart is confirmed at Caesarea Philippi. Where Peter fails to accept Jesus' destiny to suffer and die. And that pattern of fear and failure is, is, is actually a famous feature of Mark's narrative, his story. You'll pick it up. As the twelve all fall away and they all flee. They all run, they all scatter. Mark picks it up more than any other gospel. He is highlighted in that. This is a really important parable. This is the master parable. Peter denies Jesus and Judas betrays him. Wow. Good soil. Groups of people represent the soil, so there's good soil. And that's the outsiders, and I'll explain that just as I come to the end. The outsiders are the good soil. Okay, let me give you some application. How are we doing for time? Five two. Got five minutes, yeah? Good. Any advance? <laughs> okay. Here's my thinking, right? Use it or lose it. Well, I think if we looked at this parable slightly through a Western focus and lens. Let me say that again, not slightly, but big time. I, I, I think it's what, what we've done with this parable. It has become somewhat of a self-help. How we read it. I become the soil and you know, we try and, and prepare all that and do all that. Stay with me, okay? Don't throw rocks just yet. See what I did there? We really try and we try hard not to be the soils and, and, well, except for the good soil, you want to try and be that. It's okay. How we read the gospel away or, or, or what Davy Moyer said a few weeks back was, what does Mark want us to hear? What does Mark want us to hear? And maybe you're, you were able to hear such of these words this morning of like rocks, thorns, hearing and listening, good seed, good soil. But the hope this morning in this parable, I feel, is that the rocks, the thorns, the healing, the hearing, sorry, the listening, the good seed and the soil, is, it's, those, are, those are what they are. They're there. Peter is the rock. Jesus is saying, Peter, you're a rock. And what does Jesus do with Peter? What does he, what's the final, let's, let's fast forward, right? Because we can cheat, because we have this 
book with four gospels in it. What, 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 what eventually, let's forget about denying and all that. Well, let's not forget about that, but let's, let's just move past all that. Where, where does he end up? What does Jesus prophesy about him? What does he say that he's going to do with him? Build his church? Yeah, on these rocks. That's the gospel. That's the parable. I'll talk to the center room because I feel like you've been hugely ignored throughout the entire service. My head just seems to go this way. Do you feel ignored? No. Included? Good. I will build my church, which includes the vineyard. Episcopalians, the Methodists, the Baptists. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus builds on rocks, right? It's not Peter's church, it's Jesus' church. But he builds it on the rock. And on his rocks, what was his rocks like? They were past failures. They're past failures. The rocks of denial. His rocks were denial. His rocks were control. His rocks were avoidance of suffering and pain for Jesus. His rocks were mess and failure and denial. Rebuking Jesus with the rocks. Swearing that he didn't know Jesus was his rocks. Leaving Jesus. Walking away from Jesus. These are the very rocks that Jesus builds his church on. Don't sound that hopeful, Jason. Well, it's done okay. It's done okay. Because Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And it never has, never will. Thousands of years, the church remains strong, regardless to popular commercial media, socials, or whatever. Regardless of what society says about statistics or anything else, out there the church remains strong. Why? Because it's not up to us. And it doesn't depend on us. It depends on the seed who is Jesus. And when that seed falls even on rocks, good comes from it. Good still comes from it. Because it's not the final story. It's only a parable to tell us and to awaken us to these groups of people. And it's the ultimate story is that Jesus is the seed and he can grow fruit and build on our failures. On our rocks. I want to tell you something. He's the seed that falls on you this morning. Do you hear me? He's the seed that falls on you, the church, in the 21st century. He's the seed that falls on me this morning. And continues to fall on me. So our seed is Jesus. And I've watched him. And I anticipate him. To always be the one who produces good fruit from bad situations. From rocky grounds. And I love it that Peter at the very end of his life. He can look. And you can say. You can look at Peter and you say. Peter you can, 
You can say to the accuser, and you can put yourself in here. You can be Peter this morning. You can say to the accuser who is Satan. Do you know that Satan is the only one that accuses you? Like people are so hell-bent on seeing God as the accuser and God as the, the punisher. But the only one who ever accuses in the ancient scriptures is Satan. The enemy comes to accuse you. He is the accuser. And you can look at him and you can say, you can accuse me, but you cannot accuse the seed. You can accuse me, yes, you can accuse me, but the seed has fallen on me. And he will bring fruit from this life. He will bring fruit from this life. Because I think what we've done is that in the West we've made the soil the center. And it's not us. It's not us. It's not effort. It's Jesus Christ, the King of the Kingdom. It's always Jesus. It's Him and Him alone. And here's where I want to finish this morning. If you ever have, and if you ever do, hit rock bottom, hear the words of Jesus. I will do my work still do my work that's why the good soil is the outsiders those in need that's why Mark builds in the outsiders before this he talks about them the tax collectors the sinners that Jesus invites in the deaf, the blind, the lame those who maybe feel that their life is at rock bottom and the seed comes, and it brings forgiveness, and it brings healing, and it brings inclusion. It brings them back into community, and it sets their feet on a path, and it takes them from rocky ground onto firm ground as they walk with Jesus on the road with him. Let's stand. They asked the guys to lead us in worship again. I really sense the Spirit of the Lord with us. But as I was writing this talk and reading and praying, and I really sensed the Lord. breathing over it what it means for us as a community of faith not even just for our individual lives of course for you but also what does it mean for us Where's, where are we you know, what, what does God want to bring up what does God want to bring up from the rocks what does he want to take out of the thorns what does he, what does he want to bring into being where's the fruit that he wants to see or he wants to, to have his fruit in our communities, in our towns. 
And I've always said this, what you do personally drives us corporately. And it sounds cheesy and cliched, but it's so, so true. It's whatever you do in your life, it drives us forward as a church. It leads, we walk together as brothers and sisters, because your story is our story. Your pain is our pain. Your victory is our victory. Whatever God is doing in you, we get to celebrate that. And it becomes who we are as a body, because we are one. Just before we go into this prayer of song this morning, by our heads, close our eyes. And I just want to pray over those of you who have felt the hand and promise of God in your life, but your life feels like rocks right now. Or maybe it just feels like thorns. Because it's important that you get this parable, because this is a master parable, because Jesus will do it. It's not your self-effort. It's nothing to do with you. It's him, the seed, coming again. If he can do it with Peter, he'll do it with you. If he can do it with James and John, he'll do it with you. Promise you that. He's a respecter of no one. And his promises remain the same. So this is a holy moment and significant moment for some in the room. And I pray over you this morning. And when preachers ask you to put up their hands, sometimes it is that there's that wee bit of like, uh, I want to know if this is making sense. I want to pray for people. I want to know if people need ministered to today. But this, for, for you this morning, this is a moment of reaching in to Jesus' hand again and pulling you out of the rocks. That you do not remain under the thorns like our king. That you rise above the thorns again. And nothing's choked. Nothing's ruined. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information on what's happening in the life of our church, visit vineyarddungannon.co.uk.